Welcome to Anecdotally Speaking, a podcast to help you build your business story repertoire. Hi everyone, I'm Sean Callahan, And I'm Mark Shank. And before we get into the podcast, the story for this week, I had a little experience on Tuesday night that was, I think happens a bit too much in business and it's one of the reasons why we have this podcast, trying to help people have a repertoire of stories. I was on a, essentially a sales call with the CEO of a bank and in the lead up to the call, a whole bunch, oh, by the way, I had 20 minutes for the call, a whole bunch of people give me advice. So the CEO's advisors, etc., on how to run the call. The CEO likes facts and data. Uh, stick to that. Just outline the structure. Try not to give any stories. We've tested stories with them and they don't work. All this sort of advice. <laughs> of course, I, I just ignored that and did what I'd normally do, which is to use an example to illustrate each of the points. And after 20 minutes, the end of the call, the CEO looked around at his team and just said, right, let's do this. But it, that happens all too often. And the reason we're doing this podcast is to help people understand that the stories are incredibly accessible and really powerful tools that you can use in the business context. And we want to see more and more people doing it. And so here's Sean. Um, it's your turn this week yep. to yeah, add we've got another, one for you. Another, pod, uh, another story into people's business story, story banks. Yeah, good. Um, okay, so this, this one actually, I, I stumbled across this. Uh, a few years ago, I did a, a project for a, a software company in the US uh, that I guess was the industry leader in workforce management. That was their thing. And uh, I was invited to go to their sales conference, which was down in Orlando, and help out one of the big sales teams, you know, sort of the team that looked after one entire sort of division around uh, financial services. So they probably had a about three or four hundred people in the room, and their sales leader started off the day. He jumped up on you know behind the the podium, and he, do you have the rock music? No, not rock music. It wasn't. Uh, it's, I've seen the old rock music uh, sort of uh, fog machine thing, but he didn't go down that uh, path. <laughs> now, now he just got up there and he said to everyone, "Who is the the biggest medal winner in history for the Olympics?" Michael Phelps. And someone yeah, up the back goes, Michael Phelps! And he goes, yes, absolutely. He's won 22 medals, uh, gold medals, right? That's just his gold ones. Holy right? smoke. 22 gold medals. And he, uh, this, the leader sort of says, and I remember uh, when the Beijing Olympics were on, he was sitting there watching TV, watching the, the swimming, and it came around to the final of the 400 meter medley. Now this, you know, this is the one of the toughest uh, swims you can have. It's four different strokes, each at 100 meters, which means you're going flat chat for each one, right? So you know, breaststroke, it's backstroke, it's freestyle. Uh, what's the fourth stroke in the in the medley? This is the butterfly. Question. Butterfly, exactly. That's the hardest one, I think. And. He, he's sitting there and he watches Michael Phelps just plough through that water, you know, glide, I should say, glide through that water. Um, and in the end, he wins the race, not only breaks his own personal record, he breaks the world record and he beats everyone by more than two seconds. Now, two seconds in a swimming pool is like forever. It's right. quite a distance. It's, it's, a not distance. A, it's not a close race. It's not a close race. So anyway, absolutely, absolutely kicks butt and does a great job in, you know, another gold medal added to his tally. Fast forward to the following Olympics. We're talking now in London, right? Which, by the way, I thought was a great Olympics. Right? So bloody well organised, it seems. But anyway, the London Olympics, again, it's that same race. But this time, 
Phelps only just scrapes in, only just scrapes into the qualification for the final, right? And so instead of being in the middle of the pool, he's now on the on the outside of the pool. So who is in the middle? Well, in that first race, this is a good point, in that first race, uh, a young fellow from the US called Ryan Lochte came in second. You know, so it was that two seconds. So is this in Beijing? No, yeah, this is back in Beijing, right? right? So Ryan Lochte actually comes in second. So this time around in the qualifications, Lochte's actually in the middle, right? So anyway, swim starts. You can tell almost immediately that Phelps is not in it. And by the end of the race, he doesn't make a place. He doesn't really get a look in. Lockley, Lochte actually just kills it, right? Wins the race. And of course, everyone's going, all the, the riders, the reporters, they're going, what happened? You know, like, why is Phelps so missed out on this? And as they dig into it, they discover that Lochte sort of, you know, sort of fell off his training a little bit. He um, didn't... Sorry, Phelps. Phelps, sorry. Phelps fell off the training a little bit. He just sort of really... Um, wasn't putting the hours in that he would normally put in. Um, and quite frankly, he became complacent, right? Whereas at the same time, in that same period, uh, Ryan Lochte was just going overboard, right? He was he, that, that black line at the bottom of the pool was like a permanent fixture in his, uh, in his eyesight. And he'd even come up with a new, uh, what he called a dolphin kick, right? A particular type of dolphin kick for not only the butterfly, but his breaststroke. Uh, sort of uh, legs and you know these things just made this a massive difference so the sales leader is you know up there and he's told this story and at the end he goes now guys we've got to be so careful we've been number one for so long right and really in some ways we're, we're just like Michael Phelps we've won the 22 medals we are right out in front and we're so you know it's so easy for us to take the foot off the accelerator and end up, you know, having that terrible situation that Phelps faced in London, right? We've got to have our own dolphin kick. We've got to be uh, pushing hard because our competitors are just like Lochte. They're doing whatever they can to actually take that number one lead from us. And I tell you what, as he's telling this, the whole crowd is going wild, right? They're sort of yelling out, yeah, we need a dolphin kick! Where's our dolphin kick? You know? <laughs> And um, and it was great. And again, not um, not dislike our uh, hidden figures story, right? Uh, instead of having you know what's our Fortran, these guys were all looking at what their what's dolphin, dolphin what's kick. Their dolphin kick. Yep. Anyway, it, that's that's the story, and uh, it was one that really sat in my mind as as one for a leader. You know, really had an impact on those guys. So they, you were part of an offside event. With, with that That's right. I, right. I was teaching them story, and I was coaching that. I knew about the story before I heard it because I was actually coaching that sales leader on how to tell that story. Okay. Right. And did you do some testing that evening at the bar at the dinner? Were people talking about yeah, it? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, they, not only could they, they all had all the information and the details, and you know, and he had you know all that detail sort of built into his story. So, yeah, it had a ripple effect uh, that was you know nicely going through the organisation. Yeah. Oh, so cool. now, hearing that story, Mark, I mean, what what sort of things in there do you think that really helps that story along? You know, what makes that story a useful one? Well, I think the first thing that makes that story really useful is that it's so relatable. Look, even if you're not a sports fan, yep. even if you don't know who Michael Phelps is, you do know what the Olympics are and you know what a swimming pool is. Yes. And that 22 medals, or sorry, 22 gold medals yeah. in the Olympics is an incredible feat. So even though you might not be a sports fan, 
it's still a relatable story. So I think it's got a big advantage in that way in that you don't know, need to know anything about Michael Phelps or Ryan Lochte or swimming and you can still appreciate the impact of that yes, story. and imagine it, I suppose. That's yeah. the key thing. You know, there, there is a great image of Phelps, I think, on the, on the front of the Sports Illustrated where he's got all 22 gold medals hanging around his neck. Is he able to keep his back straight? Well, the guy is a pretty strong-looking guy, so <laughs> I suspect uh, he won't have any troubles there. But it kind of looks like chainmail, you know, across this, you know, guy with, you know, is it more than a six-pack? Maybe he can have an eight-pack. It look, could look like that anyway. Yeah. But, but I think some of that visual element is, is really quite important. I mean, for me, again, you know, it's historical, so we know it happened. Um, it has a nice timeline, a nice um, ups and downs. And I think any story worth its salt has those sort of shapes to it, right? You know, you have the highs, you have the lows. Um, and, you know, this particular leader set it up nicely to make his one point. He was just trying to make one point, which this story served that point beautifully, right? Indeed. One of the things that I like about it and why it works is that you you actually package the story within a real-life application of the story. Right, yes. So you're seeing it being used. Exactly. Right? And so when, you're, when we're asking people to change, they've got two questions. Can I do it? And is it worth it? Yeah, right. And and that that story uh, answered both of the answers both of those. So I think that's a that's an important part of that story is that it's a it's a concrete demonstration that leaders do that leaders can do this and that they can do it with great effect. Actually, that's you're making a really important point here too because I often get asked and I hear other people being asked this and they'll say, so what's the real uh, power and characteristics of why do stories work, right? And the novice will say. Our stories work because they have a beginning, middle, and end, and they they convey emotion, and they really and they, they describe what a story is. I mean, if you if you even got like half a bit of nous, you should be realizing you should be telling a story, right? Like I'd be telling that um, you know the story of the two CEOs, the incoming and the outgoing, because yep. you know there's an outcome. I could tell this story. You know, there's lots and lots of stories. And that's why it's so important to have stories where you've seen leaders actually tell effective stories, right? In terms of, you know, just getting people to take up the idea. Yeah. And so one of my favorite examples was the contrast at a, at a conference in the US where the president of an association got up and gave an absolutely an amazing presentation, highly technical, beautifully written he had the Madonna mic, didn't yeah, he? You yeah, know, like the whole he thing. Beautiful suit. Uh, and you know. he gave it. It was a. It was if from a, from a presentation skills perspective, he would have got ten out of ten. Right. From a presentation skills perspective, but not from a communication perspective. Simon Sinek was followed him, and he walked on stage just in a pair of sneakers and some jeans and a long sleeve t shirt, and he just started by talking about it, um, being at in Las Vegas recently and and staying at the Four Seasons and running into the barista in the. And he told this little story. And that night, no one could even remember the, the president's speech, even though it was technically perfect and beautiful slides. And But everyone could remember Simon Sinek. Yeah, presentation. About, talking about no other but the barista in the Four Seasons. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, those using stories to answer the question about why stories work and can leaders use, use them is the best way. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, so what do you reckon are the things we can do to make this story even better? Well, I think... For me, one of the things that we could just be aware of is that it's a sports story. Good point. Because 
blokes in particular love sports stories. And in many cases, and of course this is a generalization, they're not so good for female audiences. I've had, I've had feedback many times from people who've heard leaders overuse sports stories, football, baseball, etc. things that people can't relate to as well. I guess the, the Michael Phelps story is not so bad for, as a sports story because it's a, swimming is a sport that... Um, you get that, across the genders a little bit more, exactly. don't you? It's, right. And, and yeah. it's also you know the Olympics... So we yeah. know what the Olympics are. So it's, it is reasonably rateable, but we need to be aware that sports stories have their limitations and we shouldn't be really not overdoing the sports stories. Yeah, that's a good point. And so if you're a leader and you've got a pocket full of baseball and football stories, then maybe intersperse them or, or, or park a few of them away and uh, find some, uh, some of the stories like the hidden figure story from the last episode. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's good. The... Now, I think the the other thing that you could do to to make this a, a, an even better story is, um, I, sp- I suppose it's just some of the other details. Yeah, you know, some key details are always uh, important to have in it. You know, I, I sort of messed it up a little bit, and you helped me out in that story, which was great because I'd kind of forgotten to talk about Lochte in that first little. Uh, part of the story in the Beijing Beijing. That's Olympics. right, Beijing, yeah. and you got to have that. So you know, clearly, it was just a, you know one of those things that sometimes you forget elements of the story that need to happen in certain places for the story to actually work. And uh, lucky you knew the story and and were able to prompt me to answer those along the way. But I think it just comes through telling the story a few more times. I mean, I haven't really told that story a lot of times. And uh, it just becomes natural, you know, when you tell it. Practice. Yeah, and I think a lot, one of the great things about story is that the, even though you might get the details out of order or, or even a little bit incorrect, the gist will carry. Yes. What you do need to be aware of, and, and probably the one that I, where I did, is where you said Lochte when you meant... Oh yeah, yeah, yeah that's um, right. Phelps, but, so. it, but even even an audience would probably pick that up, you know, in terms of the mismatch. Yeah. But the uh, but going back to this topic of practice, I think is really an important one because I'm a big believer that you don't want to practice in front of a mirror, right? You don't want to practice like you're an actor learning a script. I think the better way to practice actually is actually tell the story in real life, you know, as situations arise where that story is a good one to tell and you know you'll have a run of a story you know like you'll have a story that you love and you'll tell it a bunch of times and once you've done that and you know why you're telling it it's kind of locked in and then you know three months later and the situation arises you'll be able to tell it without any troubles whatsoever so i'm going to disagree with you to some extent about the use of mirror for me the best way to practice is as you say in real life, yeah, where yeah. you're getting people, you, you, you're watching people, they're asking questions. And by the way, the questions that people ask are some of the best indicators of the sorts of details you need to include or exclude yeah. from your story. So really pay attention to the questions. So doing it live is the best way. If you don't have that opportunity, then talking to a mirror isn't a bad way of doing it. Because for me, just saying it, hearing yourself say it is, is an advantage. I think for me, the thing you don't want to do is to practice it in your head, where you don't act, the words don't come out of your mouth. And I've done this myself in, you know, in the lead up to 
conference presentations where I've been giving a keynote and I've decided to tell a different story is my connection story. And I've got this great thing in my head, but I haven't heard it come out of my mouth yet. Yes. And so what you sort of got to like train your mouth, don't you? Yeah. And so, so, so if you don't have a live audience, yeah. then, then I do think that talking to the mirror is yeah. a good way of doing it. But please don't think that pra- practice, oh, I don't include playing it in your head as practice because you don't know what's going to come out of your mouth till you actually say it. Yes, I agree. Yeah, you sort of get in your, um, your, your lips around it. The, you know, personally, I, I mirror, I wouldn't still use a mirror if I was, had to practice it. I would, I would find someone, I would find a, a warm body to, so I can get a bit of reaction uh, to it. My own reaction whilst telling it, it's not, you know, it's sort of mixing things up, the teller and the listener, but, um, but yeah, anyway, practice is what you definitely need to do. Okay, so anything else we want to add to um, I think things that make that... We're, we're pretty well done there, you think? Yeah, I think so. And okay. So it, it, it works pretty well. Okay. Now, how do we use it in a business setting? Yeah, well, I mean, the obvious one for this leader was just um, a, a inspiration around keep, keep working hard to stay number one. Yeah, motivating people to maintain yeah. uh, a high tempo. That's right. And, you know, what it takes, it requires, you know, real effort to do that. Uh, so that'd be one uh, use of the story. And so for a front runner, it's a great way of motivating, motivating people to avoid becoming complacent. Yep. One of the things I like about that is you could also tell that same story from the Ryan Lochte perspective, is whereas if you're not the market leader, how do, yeah, you, be, that's, how that's, do you become market leader? That's right. Well, yeah, um, it's an interesting one too, because in some ways, you know, when you read between the lines of that story, uh, Lochte only won because uh, Phelps became complacent. Um, so you know that's that's something you would have to deal with in that potentially in that story. But uh, what if you don't have a competitor who is becoming complacent? Well, for me, the 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 story, the way you told the story, the yes. way that sales manager told the story, yes. emphasizing the detail of Phelps becoming complacent was a key part yes. of his point that he's trying to make. That's right. And so when you tell the story for a different purpose, you emphasize different parts of the story. So I would de-emphasize the Phelps complacency and and, and increase the emphasis on the work and the creativity and the innovation of Lochte. Lochte yeah. So he worked his backside yeah, off. Really he came up with new things. Exactly. So you tell the story differently to make a different point. Yes. Of course, one of the key things about the use of story effectively is always being clear on your point. So if you're telling that story, you need to be sure. Are you telling it from the don't get complacent angle, uh, or, angle yeah. or from the, the perspective where you're trying to make the point about working hard to get to the front? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Now that's a, that's a good one. What else? What? Uh, so that's that's a couple of different places to, to use that story. Um, I think... I. So how to use it? I would. I think there's an opportunity because the Olympics are recorded. They're played live, and so there's an opportunity to ah, really increase yeah. the effectiveness of this and use it even more effectively by having the videos of those races. Yes. Yeah, that's right. Um, probably edited because four by one hundred is yeah, a probably long. a bit long. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it'd be interesting, interesting to see if they are available. I'm, I, let's, know, uh, let's, I know the IOC is pretty tough on all that stuff. So, uh, okay, I'm well, ha- let's see if they are available. It'd be nice, nice to see if they would be available because that'd be great. Yeah, let's, great. If we, we'll try and find them and stick them in the show notes. Yeah, definitely. Most definitely.
Okay, let's come up with a little bit of a rating for um, for our story, Mark, uh, since uh, I think it's up to you to kick off the rating. Right, so my rating. And as I'm giving this rating, I'm, I'm comparing it to the hidden figures from, from the, the yeah, recent episode. Yeah, that's right. That was our first one for the year. And for some reason, I'm tempted to give this story a, a lower score, but I can't lodge... I think that's just an emotional reaction from a logical perspective. Mm. I think it is as useful as the Hidden Figures story as long as we're aware that it is a sports story and we shouldn't overuse sports stories. Yeah. So I'm going, to give, I'm going to give it an eight. Eight. Okay. Rightio. Fantastic. Well, I, I got a feeling that this is less useful. Uh, useful. Like it doesn't have as broad a use as maybe the Hidden Figures story. So I'm going to give it a seven. But I think it's a good story. Great story to have in the back pocket. And if I was, um, you know, sort of heading into a, a group that, you know, I felt that were needed some, uh, you know, sort of inspiration to you know, sort of really push hard and keep out the front, you know, it'd be a great one to tell. Well, that's uh, us for this uh, this episode. I think the uh, thing to note is that we've, um, we've put some of our uh, events on our webs- website. I think we mentioned that before, but go and check those out. You'll sort of see that on the events page. Um, we're heading off to ATD, aren't we, again uh, this year? So that's going to be in Washington, D.C.? In May. In May. So if you're heading to Washington, D.C., I'll be in uh, Amsterdam in June. So, uh, again, we'll put these on the events page. So you can, if there's opportunities for us to catch up, uh, please uh, call out. We'd love to do that. Okay, so I think we'll just wrap that, that up. Thanks again for listening to Anecdotally Speaking. Uh, and, yeah, tune in next week where we'll have yet another episode of how you can put your stories to work. Mm-hmm.